Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. This is a message uh, entitled Canon. It's actually never been given in this uh, church, even though it sort of was, because we actually shared Steve Rosen's three-part trilogy on it one Sunday, but that didn't go online. So as a result, it's only been given at Ellerslie uh, in the discipleship college, and it's never actually been made available uh, in and through the church until today. So this is a, it's actually a very special day. This is one of the foundational messages in Ellerslie. Anyone who's gone through Ellerslie, oftentimes the students at the end of a semester, when we say, what is the most significant message, this oftentimes is one of the common ones that's brought up. This is a very, very significant, foundational, life-changing message. And it's not because of the guy giving it, it's because of the truth in it. It is powerful. And so, uh, I'm just excited. Can't you tell? Just wait till I get going on this one. A study in the revelation of Jesus Christ. I could say a study in the revelation of what the Bible is. But the Bible is about a person who is Jesus Christ. So it would be sort of a circular statement. Uh, This is a study in the revelation of what the Bible is. But from a very unique angle. The Bible reveals a person. It reveals a man named Jesus Christ. And it reveals what this man accomplished. And what that man accomplished is something that pertains to every single one of us in this room. And so this is a study in the revelation of that man in and through the Bible. The word canon, by the way, as we sort of embark upon our first uh, session here, session one, which is called the Almond Branch, the token against the rebels, canon. What in the world is that? Is that a military device that shoots cannonballs? That's C-A-N-N-O-N. Canon is another term that oftentimes is used throughout Christian history to describe the 66 books of the Bible. But canon is not what you would think it is. It's not a military device, even though I would say the Bible being described as a military device that you know, waylays the enemy? Sure, that's not a bad description, but that's just not what canon is. So I'll begin to unpack that for us as we go through this message. The almond branch, the token against the rebels. Now, most of you, when you think of almonds, don't think of the type of tree that they come from. You don't think of branches and wood. Almond wood is not the most typical type of wood referred to. However, in the story that we're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about the wood of an almond tree. The token against the rebels. One of the key questions that every generation is struggling with, and ever since the very first generation, Adam and Eve, 
are created by God. God makes it very clear. He gives his word on the matter. You can eat from any tree, any tree in the garden. There was two special trees right in the middle of the garden. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, do not eat of that tree. The day in which you eat of that tree, you will surely die. It's the first law. It's the first command. And it's the first setup for disobedience. The law was given, the perfect reflection of the nature of God, which is obedience. We show our love to him by obeying his commands. And yet, there is a serpent that sort of dangles from that tree and whispers. It's like, psst, hey. You can't trust the word of God. We're just going to bake it down to what it is. It is a question of credibility. The enemy plies doubt against the word of God. He's done it from the very beginning. Can you really trust what he said? Are you sure he doesn't have an ulterior motive to harm you? He doesn't want you to know. I have deeper knowledge for you. If you would listen to me, I can really help you. And I can establish your kingdom. You can be as God. You see, this whole battle over authority is the basis of everything. This is the basis of all the conflict, the basis of sin. So here's the question. Who's in charge here? So we could go to any level, you know, like in my own body. Who's in charge here? I could go to my marriage. Who's in charge here? I could go to my family. Who's in charge here? If you answer wrong, did you know that the life doesn't work? The marriage doesn't work? The family doesn't work? The church doesn't work? The business doesn't work? The society doesn't work? If we don't have a clear understanding of authority, everything falls apart. The question of authority that every generation must face. Who's in charge around here? So let's go back to ancient Israel, 1,300 years before Christ. So we're talking 3,300 years ago or so. We have a man named Moses. Moses is the God-picked leader. Who picked, did Moses pick himself? No. God met him in a burning bush and says, you. And Moses says, not me. God says, you. God chose Moses to lead. Moses was God's hand-picked select leader. And yet, we have some problems in Israel. You see, God is establishing authority, but Israel isn't necessarily respecting that authority. The bristling. Who are you to tell me what to do? Do you know that in Christianity, there is an established authority? Well, maybe I should just say it this way. In all creation, there's an established authority. Now, we as Christians should know better than anyone else Who's in charge? I mean, come on. Do we actually think we're in charge? I thought we were believers. I thought we were Christians. Who's in charge around here? Jesus Christ. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. How does Jesus speak to us? In and through his word. And his spirit reveals to us his will. We understand his headship. We understand his prerogative. We understand what he wants us to do. Because it's in perfect agreement and never contradicts his word or the Bible, or the canon, the 66 books known as Scripture. God has made it clear. He has established his authority, and we say, yes, Lord. However, there's a bristling, and many of you have probably felt it. It's just like, I'm not about to submit to that. This archaic old book covered with dust. It's like always thick and huge when you think about it in your mind, and dust goes fluttering off of it. It's like, that thing is old. 
You know how many people have complained about the authenticity, have complained about the integrity of this book over the years? You know how many serpents have hung from trees and said, did God really say that? Are you sure that that is the word of God? Are you sure that God put that in control? I have questions about this. I have doubts, says that voice. And where do you hang out in this? Are you like Eve? Have you bought the lie that God is up to no good, that he didn't speak clearly, he didn't mean that, he didn't intend that? How you come down on this exact point defines the health of your soul, the health of your marriage, the health of your family, the health of your church life. Everything in this hinges. The bristling, who are you to tell me what to do? So if you don't prefer to be told what to do, you're not going to like Christianity. Because Christianity is God telling you what to do. Well, we don't like that. And yet, if you don't submit to God telling you what to do, do you know that you die? Because it's not you telling you what to do. If you don't submit to God, do you know that something's still telling you what to do? Yeah, something else is still controlling your life. You're still a slave. But you're either going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave unto God. You choose which one you serve. Uh, Boy, this isn't a very politically correct message so far, is it? Who are you to tell me what to do? When you come up to the scriptures, do you submit? Do you say, God, you know what's right. I don't. You're the creator. I'm not. And you bend your knee. You see, this is the basis for how the scriptures were even established in the beginning. This is the issue. The way scripture has been built throughout the ages is based on this issue of authority. God says, My word goes, my commands, my law, you obey, and if you don't, you die. Don't eat of that tree. You know, there's another tree in the garden, it's called the tree of life. You know that it was sitting there, able to be eaten of, and yet Adam and Eve chose the wrong tree. They disobeyed, and as a result, they were cut off from the tree of life, and so have we been cut off. We were cut off from the tree of life, lest we stay in this rebellious state forever. But guess what has happened? Jesus Christ has made a way for us to return to the tree of life. By the way, that tree has a new name to many of us. It's called the cross. It's the tree where we find life. And when we eat of the fruit on that tree, we live. Korah and his cronies. When I say Korah, it's okay to boo. Korah. He deserves a boo. The canon debate begins. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Did you guys know? Moses did. Now, I don't know why anyone debates that. We still have people that are like, Moses didn't write it. Moses wrote the first five books. I'm not going anywhere on that point, okay? That's just the way it goes. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's called the foundation, the Torah, the foundation of the canon. Everything in the canon reasons from that point outward. You know who started the book? You know that the first books of the Bible were actually not written by Moses? I know that sounds contradictory to what I just said. It was written by the finger of God. It's known as the Ten Commandments. The very first words written, captured, enunciated in that fashion of text were written by God. God then gives his law and says, write this down as memorial in a book. God commands Moses to write. So around 1313 B.C., The Bible begins. Moses writes the first five books. That's why this is so important. Because this story is about Moses. And God is establishing Moses' authority. 
Because Moses wrote what God spoke. It's called the word of God. And then when Moses wrote it, it was called scripture. Scripture is the text version of the word of God. God speaks. The text of scripture is the enunciation of that. So Korah and his cronies. The canon debate begins. Who's in charge here? Can I really trust this book? The Da Vinci Code comes along and says, oh, how can you know that for certain? There were all sorts of other books, but then some group of men got together and threw this book out, threw that book out. Hey, what's wrong with that book? I bet that's a good book. Why don't we submit to that book? Who put you in charge? Who made these 66 books the final say on the matter? Whoa, boy, am I giving every quotation of what we hear today, even in Christianity? Well, inside of Israel, they had the exact same debate. They look at Moses and Aaron and say, who put you in charge of us? Hey, we're all God's people. We all have good things to say. Who put you in charge? So number 16, now Korah and Dathan and Abiram, who, by the way, would deserve their own booze, took men and they rose up. By the way, the dot, dot, dots are because they had all the descriptions of the son of the son of the son of the son of, and I decided to streamline this took men and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. One of the things you'll notice that throughout history, it's usually the people that are most famous that have a tendency to talk like this. 250, these were famous men. These are the strong ones in and amongst Israel. And they ally together and they stand against Moses. And that's what we have today. You know, we actually have Christian leaders today that are standing against the authority of Scripture. What? How could you do that? What do you have? How could you even call it Christianity if you lose the authority of Scripture? That's a good question. In fact, I would like to continue to press that question maybe in a different sermon. How could you call it Christianity if you lose who's in charge? Because if God's not in charge, who does that leave? You. And you're not a credible source. You might criticize the word of God, but hey, I got a few criticisms for your word. Why in the world should I submit to that? If all of us are our own God, we're in trouble. What do we submit to? We submit to what God has prescribed for us to submit to. God said, submit to this. When God says that, I say we listen. So, and... Korah and Dathan and Abram and took men and they all gathered together. Oh yeah, there you go. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, you take too much upon you. Hey, oh, oh, Bible, you, you take too much upon you. I mean, you're a fine book. You're a good moral book, but you're not all that, okay? Let's not, you know, blow this out of proportion. You're, you take too much authority upon you. Seeing all the congregation are holy, there's a lot of good books. There's a lot of holy books out there. A lot of good men that wrote books. Are we to say that this is the lone authority? Anyone that contradicts this is wrong? I mean, come on. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. He's saying, hey, you guys are the ones that are lifting yourself up. You know how many of you have probably heard that we somehow as Christians, have exalted this Bible, that we have lifted it up. Did we lift up this Bible? Are we the ones that are putting it in that authoritative position, or did God put it in that authoritative position? 
That is the foundation of what we're going to talk about today. When you know who put that Bible in its position, then suddenly everything begins to make sense. Dirty debate technique number one. Okay, so if you're, a, if you're learning debate and you're learning debate from the wrong angle, you see, we as Christians have to play by the rules. We have to be nice. We have to be loving. We have to be kind. We have to be patient. And guess what? We have to be truthful. It makes it very hard in debate because our opponents use sneaky, cheaty tactics. You see, they can lie and get away with it. And, you know, they can come up with false quotations. And we have to be accurate. It really stinks, doesn't it? No, because truth always wins. But the enemy is the master of the dirty debate tactics. He's a liar and a thief and a deceiver. Just know that from the beginning. So here's the dirty debate technique number one. Discredit your opponent. Cast doubt on his competence. Smear his good name. What does the serpent say? You can't trust this guy. You see, he doesn't want you to know that you could take his position. You could be God too. You see, he's, he's selfishly trying to maintain his throne, but he's trying to limit what you could become. You see, it's a lie. He is actually be, he's besmirching the nature and the name of God Almighty. And this is exactly how bad debate works. So what do these guys say? This is what Korah, Nathan, or Korah Abiram, and Dathan say. <laughs> is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards like you promised Hey, Moses and Aaron, you told us that when we came out of Egypt, you would take us into the land of promise. You have not fulfilled your word. You have put yourself above us, but you have not produced. Let's ask a key question here. Why are they stuck in the wilderness? It's because of their unbelief. It wasn't because of Moses and Aaron. The word of God has promised you something. And how many of us say, you didn't fulfill your promise, O word? Bible, you didn't come through. I trusted you. You didn't come through. Why didn't it come through? It's because you didn't believe it. You stopped believing it. You stopped following it. If you're stuck in the wilderness, it's not God's fault. What God says in his word is always true. When Moses and Aaron spoke, they meant it, and it was God's word. However, we find ourselves in a state of misery and attempting to blame Moses and Aaron for it, attempting to blame the word of God for it. Look, it's failed us. Has it? So Moses and Aaron have said, come up. Let's deal with this. Man to man. And so they say, moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Uh, Here's the equivalent. We will not submit to those words. We will not bend our knee to the scriptures. We will not allow it to be God in our life. We will not heed its word. Oh, bad things happen. By the way, the ground opened up and swallowed them alive and then closed back up. It's okay to gulp. You don't mess with God's authority. You see, God is establishing something, the very beginnings of the word of God. He's establishing authority. The standoff. How do we know who's right? Now we just have a little confusion in Israel because we've had a lot of barking over here. And yet God has said, this is my man. 
So when you have a leader or you have something that has a lot of doubt attached to it, just sort of like barnacles, many of you have struggled with this. Can I really trust the scriptures? Why are you struggling with it? It's because of the culture you grew up in, the Christianity you grew up in is constantly plying it with doubt and question. And as a result, it's really hard. That's what they were dealing with too. It's like good-hearted people that were just struggling. Can we trust Moses and Aaron? I mean, listen to that. It's true. They didn't bring us into the land flowing with milk and honey. They have questions. Is God really backing these men up or did these men exalt themselves? What's true? I don't know. That's where canon comes in. How do we know who is right? When that which defines right is questioned, then how does one determine right from wrong? The enemy knows this game. If he can bring question to the word of God, guess what? Now you're free-floating. It's up to you to figure out what is right and wrong. God has already made the statement on the matter. Listen to this word. Now, I want you to expand your understanding of who the word of God is. It's not just text. Listen to this word. If you listen to this word, also known as Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh, you will live. The canon test, that which proves authority. The very first canon test was a proving of authority. God gives Moses a very, very specific thing to do, and we're going to walk through that. Number 17, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod. I want you just for a moment to hold on to the word rod, because that's going to come back into play as we go through this message. Take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, 12 rods. You see, in Israel, a rod is a symbol of authority. A rod is a branch from a tree that is hewn and cut, carved, and shaped. And it's held like a scepter in the right hand. Okay? Kings hold scepters in their right hands. The hand of authority, dominion, and control. So every one of the tribes, there's 12 tribes, has a chief, has a prince. And each one of those princes has a symbol of authority. And so God tells Moses to gather all of those, have them submit their authority, and God will speak of who is the authority over all the other authorities. Who is the leader of the leaders here in Israel? And so write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony, where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod, whom I shall choose, shall blossom. Now, by the way, just to prepare you, when you cut down a branch of a tree, carve it up, it doesn't live anymore. It's dead. And so it doesn't blossom, just in case you're wondering if this is normal. Whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. God has a solution for the murmuring. God has a solution for the confusion. Stick all the rods into the tabernacle of witness, and I will come and I will make my statement on the matter. And we will cease all this murmuring. Why take a rod? Well, it's a symbol of authority. By the way, I'm going to give you a little hint here, and I, I don't like giving too much away. But you know what the word canon means? Rod. Okay, so when we talk about the canon test, it's the test of authority. It's the test of rods. Whose rod rules? Because whoever holds the rod, the strong rod that God ordains, 
That's the one we submit to. Now, I'm prepping you for something because I'm not just going to build your confidence in the word of God in text, but I want you to realize that God himself has made it very clear who holds the rod that rules. And if you don't bend your knee and submit to him and declare him Lord, eek. And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince won, according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. The rod that buds is the rod that rules. Well, first of all, that's impossible. A rod hewn down, been dead wood for years, maybe generations, maybe this is handed down from generation to generation. I don't know what the history of these rods is. However, I know that they don't bud. The rod that buds is the rod that rules. I want you to hold on to that fact. Something supernatural is going to have to come out of this rod. And if it isn't declared from heaven, if it's just man-made authority, it's nothing. We're talking about God-ordained authority. And when God speaks, when he blossoms, then you pay heed. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, get this, and yielded almonds. Uh, Wow! And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel. And they looked, and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony, to be kept for a token against the rebels. Do you see it, Israel? Do you see who has the authority? Was this done by a man? No. Who was it done by? God. Has God spoken? Yes. Will you submit? Yes. This is one of the three things kept in the Ark of Covenant. All three that symbolize the person of Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments. The perfect righteousness of God. The pot of manna. The bread that's come down from heaven. And the rod of Aaron that budded. The high priest who blossoms and blooms and bears almonds in front of a nation. What we're setting you up for in this message is to understand how canon works and how the canon test works. And if a a book of the Bible can pass the canon test, it's included in the canon. If a man can pass the test within the canon, who is that man? He is God Almighty, He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. If such a man could ever pass such a test, because to pass such a test would be impossible. Ah, I love it. So this is to be a token against the rebels that thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from, from me, that they die not. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him. So did he. God has spoken. But will we listen? Now, I'm going to lay a foundation for you to understand the history of canon, not just back in ancient Israel, but all throughout and how it comes all the way unto Jesus Christ, and that there is a test that has been established throughout the generations. It's a canon test. And each book that is layered and added to the five of Moses is part of that test. Every single one is measured. Every single one is tested. It passes. It bears almonds. And everyone in Israel says, yes, we will submit. And at the time of Jesus, 39 books had been collected. 
39 books that had been sealed and canonized. They had the divine right to rule and control Israel. They were the statement of God on the matter. They were termed God's word. And then, 2,000 years ago, God's word was born. God's word, in text, actually took on a body and fulfilled everything in that text. And if he matches it, he is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah. What's this? This is the prophet Jeremiah. Quite a few years later, by the way. And God is speaking to Jeremiah right in the beginning of Jeremiah's book. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? Jeremiah is seeing something. It's a little confusing. And all of us, if we're staring at it too, we're like, what? What is that? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Now, you see, you happen to have some information that helps you with this. What kind of tree was Aaron's rod hewn from? An almond tree, of course. What's Jeremiah seen? He's seen a rod from an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Huh? So you're saying a rod from an almond tree is like going to come? That's exactly what I'm going to say. You see, God's word will perform the rod of an almond tree? Yes. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.